I'm your host, Erin Pym, and what I like to do here on the pod usually is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to talk about sex and sexuality, but today, lucky you, we're doing a QA. and a um, Why a Q&A? Well, it's been a while, and, um, you know, it's a good promo for the Patreon episodes, because if you like this format, where it's just kind of me talking answering questions and ruminating on topics, then um, you should head on over to patreon.com slash the bedpost show. The other reason is like, you know, I think I lately have been not uh, having any episodes banked. So it's been working out fine. I basically record that week and then a few days later I release it. Um, and like, I knock on wood, you know, cross your fingers, like that's been working. But if one of those guests happens to cancel, then I'm fucked. Right. So it's always good to have at least one in the bank. So maybe, (laughs) maybe I'm kind of trying to just give myself a little bit of slack and bank at least one more so I can go forward with ease. (laughs) So I put out a call for questions on my Twitter, on both my Instagrams, and I said people could ask me about kink, about sex work, about dating, about polyamory, sexuality, anything really. So um, yeah, I just kind of had the call out for a couple hours, honestly. So let's see if I took enough questions to fill the hour. (laughs) Okay, here we go. So I'm going to go over to Twitter first. And um, this is from Ty815. And he says, I saw a thread from a British pro dom talking about the difference between a quote unquote kinkster and a true sub. I put myself in the former category. Thoughts? How do you approach a session differently depending on the bottom's attitude to subbing? That's a pretty awesome question, actually. And um, yeah, what is usually, you know, there there are kind of two camps. Um, you know, there it's it's all a spectrum, but like in general, you can kind of put yourself in one of these two categories, and. It's, um, are you an activities-based kinky person or are you a power dynamic kinky person? So I always ask that in my negotiation. That's one of my questions that I ask, um, just so I, you know, I know kind of where, where their play style, what their play style is about basically, you know, because I'm like, okay, here are the activities, but what's going on underneath the activities? So That's a question I kind of try and mine for that information. But yeah, it's also this thing of like, some people say, you know, are you a kinkster or are you a fetishist, right? It's kind of the same question. Like a fetishist is usually more concerned with the activity, um, you know, or with like the object. Whereas a kinkster is, you know, kind of, it can be about the activities or the objects, but it's also 
the power dynamic. So however you want to phrase it. Um, So my thoughts on that, I don't know. I think, you know, all the ways you kind of come into kink, the way the things you connect with in kink, it's all very subjective and it's all valid. And, um, you know, I, as a professional, I facilitate all types of scenes. So like, you know, if somebody wants to do a foot worship scene with me with no power dynamic involved whatsoever, um, just like some light direction or maybe a little fun role play, then I'm like, absolutely, I can do that. Or if there's a person that, you know, doesn't really know what activities they want to do or it's not as important and um, they want to just experience, you know, being submissive or surrendering and stuff like that and the activities are kind of secondary. So, you know... um, I do both and I like both. And then, so the second part of the question was, how would I approach a session differently depending on like where the the client is at? And um, yeah, I think that if they've got a list of activities, we're going to prioritize those activities, you know. We're probably not going to get to all of them because most people, you know, overdo it they kind of overshoot so I'm like okay let's choose a top three what would you be upset if we didn't do today and we kind of start building the scene from there so I'm like okay activities first we'll do those for sure is there any information you want to give me on like the vibe that's happening or like is there a type of dominating you know that you resonate with or what's the intention of these activities like how do they feel So then I can kind of layer some of that nuanced stuff on top of the activities, but we'll start with the activities always. If it's the other way around where somebody's like, oh, I don't know what I want to do really, I just want to do whatever you want basically, Um, then I'm like, okay, so let's talk more um, about this feeling you want and um, you know, as I said, like the intention of the scene, like how are you wanting what are you wanting to experience, you know? And we kind of talk about, you know, more uh, more like intangible things. So we'll start there and then we're like, okay, what activities might make you feel this way? So, you know, ideally both of the scenes that I facilitate have both the activities and like some other sort of meaning or depth, but um, they don't always. Sometimes it's one or the other. But um, yeah, I try to bring both the physical and the kind of unquantifiable. I try to bring those the, both those things together in a scene. And um, yeah, I think the ne- negotiation looks a little differently. And where I choose to focus um, looks differently in the scene. I feel like I'm blabbing a bit. But um, yeah, like if they say to me that they just want to like they want to be in their body, they want to turn their brain off, then I'm going to do like a lot of grounding work and stuff. I'm going to do sensation play. I'm going to do maybe stuff that's intense and overwhelming so their brain isn't thinking. I'm going to encourage breath, um, you know, whereas if it's just activities, we might just be doing the activities and I might just be, be my playful dominant self. So I hope that answers your question.
The second one here is from Edward Cantor. How can a professional dominant help someone maintain their connection to their kink identity? Ooh. So that's an interesting one because pro-dominance, you know, you can either do like sessions with people and you don't really keep in touch in between the sessions or you can be in um, an ongoing professional DS uh, relationship, you know, client provider relationship. So I think it's easier when you're doing something ongoing, right? Because maybe there's like stuff like protocol, which reminds people to connect with their kinky selves and with their kinky partner. There might be protocol, there might be like tasks, there could be, you know, flirting and sexting throughout the day. So those can all be like reminders sprinkled into a person's day to connect with their like kinky side or the kinky partner. But yeah, if you're just um, somebody who does in-person sessions and you're not doing ongoing or LDR or virtual type domination in between, like, I don't know if that's somebody's, if that's somebody you want, is that something somebody wants to do? You know, they could ask me about that. I could give them homework and then, you know, just the next time they book a session with me, we can follow up on it, see how that felt. Maybe we can plan something else. Um, yeah, you know, and, and you can do that just in general. How can you maintain your connection to your kink identity? You can, um, you know, reach out to your kinky friends, you know, and talk about stuff. You can be going to kink events, either solo or partnered or with friends. Um, You can do things in your community. There are a lot of cool community things, even if it's just an online community, you can keep connected there. You know, some people like to create like a social media profile for their kinky um, persona And that can help them kind of maintain that connection. Um, It can be happening like when you self-pleasure, you know, you can um, be watching kinky videos. Maybe you can support your favorite kinky sex worker by buying a custom from them. Just some thoughts. Okay, third question. This is from Queen Tricks Iris, NYC Mistress. And they ask, when doming a sub slash bottom for the first time, how do you go about introducing the sub slash bottom to the dynamic and the scene for the session? So how do I go about introducing them to the scene and to our dynamic? Um, Well, I always sit them down and do negotiation in person, even if we have negotiated via email or they you know, did the form where they give me all that information. When they arrive, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Some people just need five. Some people need more than that. But we talk about, you know, the scene that we're going to do. And um, I give them some information about my domination style. You know what I mean? Especially with that question, I usually ask them, like, what are you picturing? Are you picturing anything specific as far as the domination And um, a lot of people book me because I'm playful, so that tends to work out for me okay. But yeah, if I want to introduce them to like my play style, I'm like, I'm playful, I'm sadistic, I like teasing the person, I like chatty people, um, I like banter, you know, so like that's a bit about me. 
Um, however, if the person's kind of wants to do a quieter scene, I can do that too, of course. But like, you know, I try to give them a good idea of who I am during the negotiation, just both by being myself and then giving them some information like that. And then, um, yeah, for like the beginning of the beginning of a scene, when we start the scene, I usually leave them in that room, you know, for a few minutes. And I ask them to get as undressed as they would like to be for the scene. And maybe they can kneel in the middle of the floor for me so that when I re-enter, we can begin and they're kneeling. So that's kind of the protocol that I like to start. And then I usually like put a collar on them. I usually talk about what the collar means to me. And we talk about what, you know, it could symbolize for them, you know, and that's, that can be different, very subjective or personal. Um, the meaning of that and I usually do some grounding activities and I usually let them know that this is like their space that they can explore without judgment and I'm here to facilitate that and um, you know what I mean to, to just get in their body and relax as much as possible and yeah just that I'm supporting them and I'm here for them and stuff like that so I think that kind of introduces them to what this scene is going to be like, you know what I mean? Um, and what I'm like. So yeah, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> there is, it's not so much a question of a, a statement. Um, it says how to find FLR. This is from J Doe 999. I mean, yeah. How do you find partners just in general, right? It's like there's so many ways to do that. I think some of the ways that are not so successful is just kind of um, throwing yourself at any dominant woman that you see on the internet. Approaching in role is one of my pet peeves. It's like I haven't consented to dominate you yet so why are you in my DMs saying you'll be my slave forever and this is all the stuff you'll do for me I'm like didn't ask don't want it don't know you um <laughs> so I would encourage people kind of to approach oh by the way uh female-led relationship that's what FLR means um so I would encourage people who are looking for you know dominant women to date to approach them like you would approach anyone, you know, like they're a person, um, like they're a person you want to get to know, um, not just like satisfy, you know, your desire, your need, your want, like your FLR, like R is the word relationship, you know, it stands for the word relationship. So like anyone that you want to get in a relationship with, that's collaboration that's compromise that's seeing the person as they are and um yeah you got to get to know the person um and I think people make that mistake a lot when they're approaching um kink dynamics kink relationships for some reason I mean FetLife is not a dating site, but what FetLife is good for is finding kink events in your area. And then I always think that going to in-person events is the best way to meet people, you know, like maybe go with a couple friends so you can kind of wing person each other 
and um yeah just be open to talking to people like there are munches that happen in a lot of city centers munches are just social gatherings for kinky people those are specifically engineered to meet other kinky people I mean, social media works for a lot of people as well, but you've got to kind of have a lot of um, social media literacy and porn literacy and like to be able to stand out in that. You've got to uh, you've got to be pretty Internet savvy. You've got to be pretty social media savvy. So it's not for everybody. Most people, you need to meet the person because they don't come across super well um, on the socials. So. I mean, another way you can do it is like, even on just regular dating apps, if you're a dating app type person, um, you know, there are kinky people on there too. So if you like front load all that information in your bio, saying that you're, you know, you're interested in exploring kink with the dominant someone, again, like the thing that will not get you noticed and not have you stand out is if you literally include no other information about you, like You have to, you know, show people the full person that you are. Like, what are your other interests? Like, you're, again, looking for a relationship. So, like, looking to connect in more ways that are just, like, not this a woman doming you, right? So, like, yeah, you can can be putting that stuff in your bio. Um, And there are a lot of kinksters on dating apps that would be like, ooh, sounds like fun. I like that TV show that that person is doing. Oh, I like camping as well. Oh, I like, like, you know, just um, treat it like regular dating is would be my, uh, my advice I'm going to give. So I hope that helps. Okay, this is from Comat. And they say, what sort of prep do you do? slash is required for a breath play slash smothering slash face sitting session. So I'm not sure if they mean what what uh, prep the top does or what prep the bottom does, but um, I can't say I really do prep. I would do prep on either end of that. I guess prep, part of prep could be negotiation, like talking about it organizing a really good safe word system because sometimes when your face is covered you know you're not going to be able to talk so like let's have some safe signals um sorted I guess we could talk about also like are we using like a queening chair or like you know do you want somebody um to be totally anchoring their legs under your head like the other thing, you know, negotiation question I would ask is like, what do you find interesting about smothering or face sitting or breath play? Um, you know, cause that'll inform me of, about how to do like kind of a fuller experience rather than just the activity. It's like, okay, let's engage, um, whatever is going on for you. Cause some people, you know, it's about the control maybe like the breath play element of feeling helpless um could be about like the smells and stuff that's happening that could be something so like you know if somebody wanted if their like fantasy is like oh a sweaty ass sitting on me then it's like okay maybe the prep I would do is some jumping jacks (laughs) or something or maybe I wouldn't shower that morning if that was like the desired um feeling you know that they're getting from the face sitting Um, yeah. And then I guess like 
just going low and slow, you know, if you haven't played together before. So it's not like there's really any prep you can do by yourself, because I definitely do not recommend doing breath play as solo play at all. Um, so yeah, when you're together, just like see what intensity, what's the desired intensity here. And um, yeah, do a lot of checking in, obviously. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of think of off the top of the dome. Okay, this is from Gomlu. And they say, what's your favorite kink activity? Hmm. I think my core kink is objectification. And a lot of the activities I enjoy, you know, are kind of rooted in that intention. As far as like, activities that I like to do. Um, I mean, like a medfet role play is really fun. And that is very much related to the objectification type stuff. Um, so like, yeah, for me topping at work, it might be something, something role play esque. <laughs> it's fun. It's creative. Um, yeah. I can be like really devilish, like I can play a villain, you know. Um, I also think that, you know, much like just how a power, a power dynamic can um, add so much to an activity, I think role play is something that you can add on to almost any activity and it just kind of enhances it. You know what I mean? Um, it's not for everybody, of course, but... Uh, I think it just kind of, for, for a person like myself that was really more concerned about the intention versus the activity, like, to me that can just kind of drive a scene in a way. It gives it a really strong intention if you come up with, like, a little role play premise. Um, yeah. So I'm going to say role play for that. Um, but what's my favorite kink activity? trying to think of me as a bottom. I do enjoy the things I mentioned as a bottom as well. Kink activity. Mm. Overstim is really fun. Um, yeah, like being used, again, it's like this objectification angle. Being used is really fun. Like just used like over in an overstimmy way of like just until you're absolutely... You're in, within an inch of your life. You're being fucked within an inch of your life. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that. Does that, a, does that answer your question? <laughs> okay. Um, the next one is from Jamie74UK. He, him. And... Um, it says, what are your thoughts on role plays, ooh, speaking of role play, based around traumatic or unresolved past experiences? Can these be done in a psychologically safe way? Yes, they certainly can, but I definitely would not trust just anybody to partner in a scene with these uh, themes. You know, I would, you know, this is something I would, kind of trust with a professional and a professional that like has experience, um, like is trauma, 
a trauma-informed facilitator, ideally. Um, because, yeah, it is tricky. It is very tricky. Um, because this certainly is a way, you know, doing role plays, reimagining things and kind of changing the outcome, you know, um, can be really healing. And this is kind of the thing of like kink, kink can be therapeutic. It is not therapy. So I would recommend if you are going to do some therapeutic kink, you know, around some past trauma, then like I would get your therapist like to help you plan, you know, a play scene, perhaps like if they're not going to be the one that's playing it out with you, then like, I would inform them and ask their thoughts. And at the very least, you know what I mean? Like, I'm saying if if you're you and your partner, just in your personal life, you know, you don't, neither of you um, has a background in, in trauma resolution, then at the very least, I'd, I'd get like your therapist to kind of consult on what you're going to do and, um, to make sure you're just doing it as safe as you can. Um, obviously your therapist would have to be like a sex positive person and a kink positive person, which can be hard to find, but this definitely can be done. Um, you know, you would have to have so much negotiation, um, and you would have to have so much aftercare. Yeah, and make sure if you're the top doing a scene like this that you're also staying within your boundaries. Like I've actually had somebody recently that I know of facilitated a scene like this that was very intense for, um, you know, it was an intense scene, but the bottom was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I wanted, what I needed. I feel like, you know, I, um, what's the word? It was cathartic, you know, and they just were feeling so good, but actually the top after that, it was so incredibly emotionally laborious for the top. Um, and they dropped so hard and that was like deeply affecting for them. So I'd like keep that in mind also. Um, but yeah, they can be done. Like the other question, I mean, can these be done in a safe way? It's like, well, not completely. And you can never guarantee that. Right. And that's part of risk aware consensual kink. Like, um, and that's the, why we say safer sex items rather than safe sex items, you know, cause there's always an element of risk and, um, yeah, communication will be the best way, um, to avoid harm, but as we all know, consent, um, is so incredibly nuanced, right? So yeah, I'd say be very careful and don't just impulsively jump into stuff like this. Make sure you've got a lot of time to really talk about this really thoroughly with each other. Um, but if you want to know my personal, like, um, relationship to facilitating kink scenes like this, this is something that I would not feel, uh, that I have the skills to comfortably facilitate, you know, um, maybe in very small ways, um, maybe stuff like generalized, 
like the generalized trauma we have of just being women and existing in society, like stuff like that, maybe I can, (laughs) you know, help people kind of find their power and, you know, in situations they didn't have control of, maybe we can recreate something where they have total control in like a very generalized, uh, lowercase t trauma, you know, stuff, but like big T trauma, I would be like, no, um, I'm not, even with all my years of doing this, I'd be like, that's not something, um, within my skill set. just so you can, um, you have an idea of, uh, how, um, yeah, how, how dangerous these can potentially be and how much skill you really probably should have to do scenes like this. Okay, so I have one more question on Twitter, and then I'm going to take a little break, and then we'll switch on over to the Instagram questions. But this last one is from Frank Gallu, and the question is, what do you enjoy most about pegging? So pegging, yes, this is a good question. I like it, um, because there are so many things to enjoy about strap-on play, And I think that is kind of a common question to be like, okay, I mean, I get why it's so great to receive, but like, truly, what is it doing for the top in these scenarios, right? Because it's not like they're wearing a silicone dick, so they're not, you know, it's not physically pleasurable that like, like you are when you're fucking someone or getting fucked or whatever. But there's so much, um, so many awesome things about topping a pegging scene. Um, I want to start with like the aesthetics, you know, um, I like witnessing a person that maybe doesn't receive very much get to a place where they are kind of surrendering. That's a really cool thing. Um, that happens specifically like the word pegging is you know it's usually a cis female using a strap on anally um to a um cis male so like you know you know because of cis heteronormative um the scripts right that we deal with on the daily to see cis men really like surrender in that way that's like really special and awesome and I wish it was happening more often for men you know more they could do it and not be judged for it I would love that um so yeah there's something that happens there that's really kind of precious uh to witness um and I mean there's also fun dirty talk elements that can be going on I'm a great I'm a great dirty talker <laughs> when I'm a top, when I'm a bottom, I'm like, I go nonverbal and I'm an idiot. I'm a melty puddle of a mess, um, who can't put a thought together. But when I'm topping, I love to dirty talk. So like, that's something where, you know, if they've told me the, you know, how they want to feel when they're getting pegged, then I can be layering that on when I'm pegging the person. That's really fun. Um, It's also really just like an easy kind of activity for me when, you know, we're at work and I just kind of throw them in the sex swing. I can just be standing, you know, and just kind of swaying into them essentially. 
So it's pretty easy uh, for me to facilitate. So it's kind of one of those, like some, some, uh, some things I get myself involved in. I'm like, Oh my God, this is killing me. So I don't enjoy it as much just because physically it's kind of hard, but that's one that's pretty easy breezy. Um, I enjoy like working people up to stretch goals. That's really fun. Um, I like layering other kinks on top of it too, because like, you know, I can basically do it hands free, uh, if I'm standing in that position that I mentioned. And then like, I can put clamps on them. I can do e-stim on them. I can hold a vibrator on them. I, we can put a ball gag on them. I can tie them up first. So they're totally incapacitated. There's all sorts of fun things. Yeah. And one, as I said, one of my main core kinks is objectification. And that's when I'm on other side of the slash. So, um, that's, that's gives very, that <laughs> gives that vibe, gives the energy. It's fun. Yeah. So lots of reasons I really like it. I'm a giver. Listen, <laughs> I love to give. So I like helping people. I like facilitating pleasure for people and, I like, um, I like if it's somebody that maybe they're new to it and I like to see the reaction. I live for reactions just in general when I'm a top. So I like to see the reaction of like, oh my God, I can't believe it feels that good. And yeah, like surprise, they surprise themselves. So I love, I love to see people making discoveries um, in their session with me. And that's one that happens kind of often. Um, yeah. And speaking of reactions, um, I meant happens kind of often with pegging. Then I got distracted because I was thinking of the sounds that people make when I peg them. Um, and that's really hot also. Yeah. Again, just with the reactions, like I want to, I like to make people moan and groan and sigh and like, you know, usually even with the quiet ones, you can get them to make at least a couple noises when you're pegging them. So that's always a real fun challenge and a treat when it happens. So, okay, I'm going to leave it here for now because those are all my Twitter questions. And then we'll be right back after a quick break with uh, all the questions that I got from Instagram. Okay, see you in a minute. The Bedpost Podcast is sponsored by Come As You Are. Founded as a worker-owned cooperative, Come As You Are has a fundamentally anti-capitalist and feminist approach to sexual pleasure, health, and education. Come As You Are doesn't profit from your pleasure and only stocks products that they truly love and believe in. Come As You Are has been voted best sex shop in Toronto since 1997. Check them out at comeasyouare.com or 254 Augusta Avenue in Toronto's own Kensington Market. We are also sponsored by Club M4 Toronto. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA. 
And now you can go to their website, www.clubm4.com. If anything looks interesting and you want to check it out, head on down to Club M4 at 1989 Dundas Street, Mississauga. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I got my tea all reheated. Um, I also wonder for people who are like listeners of the regular podcast like not the patreon if you notice a difference in like because I record I usually record the patreons in my living room just like sitting in the lazy boy (laughs) but I always record the regular episodes in my bedroom that's in my opinion has way better sound quality um but I don't know because it's virtual and you're hearing the room tone from usually the other, my guest's mic, like the other person's mic. So well, that's kind of interesting. I bet this sounds better than ever because <laughs> usually my guests, usually the room tone, they've got the window open sometimes. There's birds chirping. <laughs> anyway, so This episode feels very Patreon-esque because I am out in the, uh, out in the condo. Freezebird. Okay, so, um, second half of this, we're doing the questions I got via Instagram. (laughs) So I think I'm going to do, uh, the forbidden question (laughs) first. (laughs) <laughs> this is from a.james.d and they say will the bedpost monthly socap event ever return i think <laughs> i think i'm always so polite with this question i'm like yeah maybe you know um i might bring it back casually you know maybe once a year or a couple times a year maybe some like you know, holiday shows, but I mean, I mean, (laughs) I mean, I mean to say no, I don't think so. I did one show short of five years, and to me, that's pretty neatly tied up in a bow, you know, and I had a good time, It was successful right up until the end. Um, Why not go on a high note? Um, My focus is different in my life now. Honestly, my injury also is part of why I haven't gone back to performing and stuff. Maybe I'll go back to some sort of performing at some point, but yeah. I'm just going to start saying no. When people ask this question, <laughs> I'm just going to say no, I think. Um, so moving on. So that was the only question I got from the Bedpost podcast Instagram. Uh, but I got a bunch from the uh, My Lady Pim account. Okay, so my first question is from McLeod7104. And they asked, do you get many queer clients? I luckily do. I think, I do think I I must be blessed. I think most people, most other, most other sex workers are envious um, of me. I 
don't know if just, I don't know if I'm marking, marketing myself queer or what's happening, or maybe I just put it out there a lot. Like that anytime I get like a female client, I like always post about it and you know, I'm doing that because I want more and that's how that works. So I don't know. There's something about, something about me being lucky, um, (laughs) that I do, I do get a lot of queer clients and I fucking love that. Yeah. Um, the majority of my client base is still cis men, but yeah, I get non-binary trans clients, queer clients, people that are all over the spectrum and I love it. Um, because I'm a queer person, so I love to play with folks of all genders and, um, I love being a part of people's journeys, you know, so maybe it's their gender journey or their sexuality journey, you know, oftentimes their kink journey, which can be related to the first two sometimes, but like, I feel really blessed, (laughs) I'll use that word, I'm not a God-fearing woman, but I, I will acknowledge that I am blessed, second question is, this is from Talcum Todd, and he asks, favorite MedFet procedures to perform? And for that, I would say, number one, I love the role play. It's that kind of polite, but emotionally detached energy. It, it's, again, the objectification of it all, you know, they're just another number on the paper to go through I like yeah I just love that energy of this person is here to do their job and you are just a means to an end so the role play part but if I had to pick an activity for MedVet I would say needles and now with my injury actually with my hand I'm not as good at needles as I used to be because I'm using my other hand Um, or I'm trying to use my injured hand which is not um, not mobile really not very mobile at all so it's not as maybe not quite that's why I didn't make the number one maybe (laughs) Um, but I'm working on becoming more precise and it's so meditative um and it's creative and it's cool like yeah I would love if someone just booked time with me just for needles so we can really do a lot and create like some cool aesthetic you know like a a cool design maybe on someone's back or something um I also like incorporating needles into like bondage, like, which can be fun or some sadistic type needle stuff where you're twisting them and reinserting it, you know, or different stuff like that. Even like stacking needles. Yeah. Usually when I get needle clients, they just want like a few and that's fun. Um, and they, you know, usually want to do a bunch of other activities but I, man, how I would love if somebody was just like, do my whole back. 
That's all I want today. I'd be like, today's a good day. Yeah. (laughs) So that's what I'll say. Tanner underscore Johnson 24 asks, how do I find a lady like you in my area I live? (laughs) Um, Grammar aside, um, I'm going to assume since they're saying a lady, I'm Lady Pim. So I'm assuming they mean like a pro dom like me in their area. Um, I think, you know, a quick Google will do that. Dominatrix in blank. There are lots of us everywhere. Yeah. How else? I don't know. Um, If you're connected like locally with your kink scene, um, if you're not, I would recommend you do that. If you are, then there are lots of pros in your local community kink scene. So again, I would recommend things like going to munches and meeting people and going to in-person kink events where you can do that because there will be a lot of professionals um, at those events, either, you know, as a part of the event, like, you know, I'm doing a demo or doing a performance or, or whatever. Um, like I do demos and performances around and people always come up to me after to be like, hi, nice to meet you, you know. Um, and then I give them my business card, my lovely business cards that Ms. Chloe Morris designed for me. I'm like, here you are. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's kind of how you do it, I guess. This question is from Deckard Photographer. And he says, when did you first know you were kinky? I think, like, I can trace it back, like, to literally when I was young and I was playing with dolls and I was doing things like tying them up and, like, you know, Ken was kidnapping them and, like, stuff like that. That when I'm thinking back, I'm like, hmm, okay. And, like, (laughs) he would make them do humiliating things also, like, stuff like this. So I think when I'm like looking at that and when I'm thinking of like the movies I watched, you know, the media I watched and the things I kind of globbed on to, um, it's kind of like, okay, this was in my DNA. This had to be in my DNA a little bit to go that far back. Um, but yeah, I think the first time, like I really got to, do a full kink scene with somebody and experience that and then realize like, oh my God, this is, this is sex for me. Like, this is what I want all my sex to look like. I think like, yeah, it was a time that I was like, uh, yeah, I did my first scene with this person who was a play partner of mine over like maybe a six month period or something like that. Maybe longer, maybe more like a year, but, um, yeah, I was, they were very experienced and, I was there to experience their experienced (laughs) facilitation of scenes. And I was like, oh man, this is it. And like, I was old enough that I was like, I saw what parts didn't quite fit with me. And I, you know, I knew that this person wasn't perfect. And I was like, okay, this person's a bit of a sociopath, probably. (laughs) But like, my main takeaway was like, oh, I'm into all of this. 
And like before there, it was just kind of, you know, we tried some stuff with some other people, but nobody knew what they were doing. And like, yeah, I was playing with people that didn't identify like as kinksters, but they would do kinky things, you know, with me if I kind of asked them to. (laughs) But that was the first time I think I was with a full, a person that was just a straight up kinkster. Um, And then, yeah, uh, from there on, I just did that as much as I could (laughs) with as many people as I could. Um, okay, this is from Quickity Jacks, and he says, did you know Lord Fadir has an excellent Chewbacca impression? <laughs> Which is a funny inside joke. Um, I will have to ask him. I will ask him to do it. I see him tomorrow, so I will ask him. Um, okay. Oh, Lord Fadir, by the way, is my duo partner. Um, if any of you want a lovely dominant male to dom them alongside me we can make it happen um jats underscore 80 asks do you ever switch uh short answer yes i absolutely do um for professional stuff mostly i'm uh dominant but yeah even like with custom videos i'll do some submissive custom videos you know absolutely um, I'll do them solo or, um, you know, photo sets also, or I do partnered stuff. Also, I do partnered with Lord Fadir or I do partnered content with Ms. Chloe Mars as well. And that can be kind of a POV of like two of, two of us being dominant or one of us being submissive. Um, and those kind of kind of switch between all of us. Um, I mean, that'd be fun if you book the three of us for a custom video. Oh my. Um, but yes, I do. I'm actually a bottom leaning switch in my personal life. Mostly, I would say, um, I top a lot, but, um, the core of me, I'm like, Oh, I just top so much, you know, that might be part of why I crave bottoming so much, um, outside of work (laughs) It might be part of it, or it might just be part of who I am. Um, probably a little bit of both. So, um, But yeah, there are little ways you can kind of be exposed consensually, of course, to my switchiness professionally. Um, Okay, there's a question from Anakin5605 that just says, where are you? I wait you a lot of days. I think maybe he says, I watch you. Maybe he's he's trying to say, I watch you. Like, I I see your profile a lot. Um, I mean, it's... If that's the case, then write in my profile. It says I'm from Toronto. Uh, So that. And then um, (laughs) I have one last question, which is kind of a doozy. So I'll spend some time on this. This is from Ethan Clowder. And they ask tips for being a better Dom. Okay. This is a good last question to end on. Um. And it's kind of a general question, you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean by that? But I will extrapolate. So, safer Dom, you know, I can recommend, you know, negotiation, obviously. Asking a lot of questions about, like, the the one for safety in negotiation 
there are some questions that are like, okay, what's the fantasy I'm going to facilitate? But there are some questions that are mostly about safety. And those questions are, how much experience do you have with these activities? That's always really important to know. Um, like, what's hap- is there anything I should know about your body and the way it moves, you know? Um, like, medical history can sometimes be really relevant. Um, and then, yeah, safe words, obviously. Deciding on safe words. Talking about boundaries and limits. Um, yeah, those are like the safety questions. So in my opinion, if you are asking those questions before you do a scene, that makes you a better, much better Dom than if you weren't. Other safety type stuff you can be doing is like checking in throughout the scene, um, making, you know, encouraging them to safe word, you know, with like their yellow, their moderate safe word. Um, so that you know where they're at, you can get them to like rate the intensity of things. So you know where they're at. Um, and then to confirm, you know, that you were safe, then you'll talk about the scene after this can be during aftercare or like later whenever, but just confirming that you had a good read on this person and a good read of what was happening in the moment. So you can say things like, I noticed, you know, I, th- I looked like you were wearing out a bit. So that's why I kind of concluded things, you know, how is my read on that? And they could be like, oh, I could have taken a lot more actually. And it's like, okay, well, we will do not- that next time. You know, now I know what that looks like. Um, because, you know, it can be hard to, especially if you don't have a lot of experience or you haven't played with this specific person a lot, it can be hard to figure out if it's like, good pain or bad pain, you know, if they're not speaking up and telling you. So that's the only way really you can confirm your read on that is after if you're like, um, oh, I thought, you know, you were getting to the end there. And they're like, oh, I was just getting started. Like, that's what I want. That body language is that's where I want to sit for like the majority of the session. I want to start there. Then it's like, oh, oh my God. Okay, great. Which is why, you know, another tip of advice for being safe is like to always undercut, you know, if you're not sure about something, always ask. Um, If you're not sure, you know, as far as how far you should go or whatever, then stop if you're not sure, right? Like always undercut. You can always do another scene together where you up the intensity, honestly, if that's makes me not a quote unquote real dom, you know, to not go intensity 11 the first time I play with someone professionally, then call me not a real dom. I'm fine. Go and see someone who will actually not care about your safety and well-being. Because trust me, there are lots of people who won't. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, pushing someone... Uh, you know, consensually pushing someone is being reckless. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just saying, and I'm also not saying that I also am doing, you know, can harm someone because I absolutely can and have. Um, Again, with the thing of like safer sex, you know, we can, let's try and do as much as we can with all these factors to make this as safe as possible. Is there always an element that you could be harming someone always there's that element yes so 
all you can do is your absolute best, right? And keep learning and keep getting better about it. And the best thing you can do to be a better dom as far as safety stuff goes, it's like stay humble, you know, know that you're fallible, know that consent violations do happen. It sucks. And we want to do our very fucking best so that they don't, but they do because consent is that nuanced. And you do have to put your trust in the other person that they're going to speak up and that they're going to tell you and you can adjust. And best case scenario, they can totally be um, advocating for themselves and their bodies in the moment. But that's not always the case due to lots of factors, right? So the best thing you can do as a dom for safety stuff is realizing how extremely nuanced all this stuff is and realizing that you don't know everything and that you can't push every submissive's buttons like the first time at the drop of a hat. Like, I think that's the best thing is just to have some perspective, like check the ego because with being a dominant and being very visibly, you know, your persona is very visible on the internet or whatever. Like to just think that you can do no wrong is like a big red flag. Like one true wayism is a big red flag. So even though I'm talking about safety here and I'm like, be as safe as possible. I'm like, also take what I'm saying, take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. I say this when I teach classes too. I'm like, learn stuff from lots of different types of people to give you a really round education on a topic. You know what I mean? So I'm like, this is how I run my scenes. I want to do safety like this. And this is what feels safe to me from what I've learned and what I've experienced. But not to say that other people who are doing safety stuff in a different way, that's not valid and maybe better than what I'm doing. You know what I mean? That's why I stop myself when um, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to make it seem like what I'm doing is safe and what everybody else is doing is not. I never want to um, do that. I do fully know that there are some people being very unsafe out there. <laughs> and like not even trying. So those are the people I'm talking about when I'm saying, um, you know, if you don't want someone like me, you can go and get your ass kicked by literally anyone. That's what I mean. So people who literally are not even trying to have any sort of a harm reduction, trauma informed, safe practice at all. And then, yeah, I'll add on to just this thing, how to be a better Dom, right? Maybe they weren't talking about safety. I would say, yeah, that thing of take take classes, take classes from a lot of different facilitators. Um, hopefully, like ideally, you know, you can be also practicing with people who are going to teach you and um, like, like um, playing with people, lots of different people, I would say, because then you're getting a better education of like, all the different ways play can look. Because if, you know, say you go into pro-doming and you've only been doming the same, this one person for the past few years, and you're like, I have years of doming experience. It's like, well, you have years of dominating that one person in a very a specific way. So like that's, you've, you, re, you have a lot of experience in dominating that one person, but there are like a thousand other 
ways to dominate, you know, infinite, really, like more than a thousand ways this can look. And the only way that you can really learn, like in a practical sense, is if you do it with lots of different people who like lots of different types of kinks, lots of different sensation, um, you know, have lots of different fantasies and um, their bodies are all different and their connection to their own sexuality is all different. Like that's why there's such a huge um, learning curve that happens when you start pro work because that's what you do is you start, you see clients and immediately it's like, oh my God, you see a different person every day and you just learn so much, right? It is important that like, I think I feel in a professional scenario to never do something for the first time to someone in a professional scenario. Again, with the thing of being humble is like, if somebody wants to do an activity you have no experience with, then you should say no, or you should say, I have no experience with that. But if you have a lot of experience, because that's valid to learn from a client, then I would be willing to learn from you. You know, if you want to kind of be a demo and show me, then that's something. But just to be always upfront and honest about your experience level. Just like I said, negotiation, something important is to ask them how much experience they have with the activity well the other part the other side of the coin of that is to volunteer how much experience you have with the thing right because um yeah harm can absolutely happen if you have zero experience with the thing and you're just kind of faking it till you make it that's not good so yeah I'll end there I think because we're just about at the hour and guess what I'm done the questions so that worked out well um, <laughs> thank you everyone who submitted the questions. Uh, we got lots of great questions in just a few hours. So I appreciate, um, all of the people that contributed to this. Um, if you don't know where to follow me by now, folks, I am at the lady Pim one on Twitter. That's where I'm the most active. However, if you must come on over to Instagram, I'm at the Lady Pim one. No, I'm not. I'm at the Lady Pim or at the Bedpost podcast. We have a Patreon. It is the Bedpost show. We have a YouTube channel. It is the Bedpost show. I'm also on TikTok suddenly, um, and I'm at the Lady Pim on there. And uh, yeah, I never like to go an episode without thanking the lovely lady who just saw the original music for my podcast. Her name is Stephanie Copeland, and you can reach out to her stephcopelandmusic.com. No guest today, but we'll see you next week with another fun and sexy guest here on the Bedpost Podcast talking about sex and sexuality. Until then, get fucked, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar!